I'm super excited to have you on, Sam. It's very interesting because I called you for one reason and it wound up turning into something totally different, which was very surprising. And that spawned a whole different conversation. People might be surprised to know, or maybe not, that you're also a pastor of New Foundation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I want to just shout out the church. He is a pastor there. And today's topic is about abuse, domestic abuse, domestic violence. And I think that as we have shared experiences, nobody is can be exempt from it. It can happen at any time, anywhere. It can happen to men. It can happen to women. You, Sam, I want you to tell us about your personal story and how close to home domestic violence hit you. Yeah, sure, Rashida. First of all, thank you for inviting me on today. I, I really do appreciate that. One thing about domestic violence from from my perspective, because I, you know, being a law enforcement officer for 16 years and retiring from the state patrol, I've seen various levels of domestic violence to where it's always been pointed as the man was the aggressor. But I've also seen sometimes where it would be the woman that's the aggressor. You know, when I see guys get arrested or even get women get arrested, will come down to be processed through the intake at the jail. But you know, when you see something like that, in your mind, you're wondering, what driven them to that point to where they was once loving each other to where now they in complete hostility towards each other, the way they despise one another. Right. The relationship is no longer on amicable terms. It's more like you are the enemy and this is my arch rival or something like that. But, you know, what, what really affected me the most was about two years ago, I um, had my daughter abused by her husband to where we didn't see any of the signs of it. It was all like it was masked and covered, like everything was going great. Then all of a sudden, you know, her husband tried to take her life. I mean, he shot at her twice. He pistol whipped her in a home and held her at gunpoint, basically telling her that if you contact your father, I'm going to kill you. And so all of this, all of this really hit close to home with me to where when I saw my daughter in the hospital in the emergency room, mm. I mean, I'm just going to be frankly honest with you, all type of rage tried to rise up in me, defend my daughter and to protect my daughter. And I was really going to look for him, but thank goodness the police arrested him without incident because as a father and your only child, your only girl that I had, this man was about to take her life within a matter of minutes just because she decided she wanted to leave the abusive relationship. And well, so, now, let's say something here, because you said from your perspective, there were no signs. That means you externally looking out didn't see anything, but your daughter had been enduring this for a while, I imagine. Is that right? Yeah, she has. And after, you know, after speaking with her that night at the emergency room, she came out and told me a lot of stuff. I mean, she dumped a lot of things on me that I did not know she was dealing with. Mm. and that he was pretty much controlling. And, you know, one thing I can say, I did see some times when he was around the family, certain little words he would say that was leading on that he was trying to control her and keep her all to himself, trying to isolate her from a family. And me, like I said, being my only daughter, I contacted her 
at least once every other day just to check on her because, I mean, that's my baby girl. Right. I know she's grown. She's a grown woman. I allow her to experience her own grown life based upon what I've taught her as growing up in her youth. But when I started seeing some change in her behavior to where she wouldn't come around as much, uh, when I talked to her, sometimes be on, on a low state, but she'll come back and say, Daddy, I'm fine. And so mm-hmm. it's almost like she didn't want me to know because she already knew what I was going to do. Right. But um, So now um, you said that there were, you could see some signs of dominance from the husband's side of things or how he was isolating her from her family. I think that's key. And I want you to share some of those signs that you saw as a father looking in because people need to be aware of what those signs are. I know for for me, when I was married the first time, I had something very strange happened. My ex-husband's fathers made a statement one day, and I didn't know what it meant. He said, don't ever put your hands on that girl. And I was like, okay, that's a weird thing to say, random. Hmm. In that moment that, okay, well, he's giving me a, a heads up that he's a little handsy, this one over here. I didn't know what to do with that information. I just thought it was a weird thing to say. Today, I can look back on it and go, he was kind of warning me and giving a stern warning to his son as well. So as a father, what signs did you see that showed the beginning stages of her being isolated and distancing from you guys? Some of the family functions that we would have here at the house, they would sometimes not even come at all. I mean, the invitation was there, no call, no type of follow-up, but something came about. And then when I would call her, I'm like, you know, what happened to you guys? I was looking forward to seeing you. And I could tell my daughter was lying. Uh, We had to do this, we had to do that, you know, this and that. I'm like, okay, but you know, we want you to be involved with the family. And then what really put the icing on the cake was concerning my son's, uh, her brother, younger her graduation. He was getting ready to graduate. Needless to say, she didn't even show up for his um, graduation from his program. And I, and, I, and, I, and I said, you know, Maya doesn't normally do that. Maya is normally very family-driven you know, as far as being family-oriented. She loves to be around her family. And when I saw those things where she was missing important events, I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't quite put my hand on it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, leading up to them getting married, which I'm going to be brutally honest with, I did not want her to marry him because of signs that I've seen of the arguments that they would have when they were dating. I'm, one thing about my daughter, she's very free in spirit, meaning that she just loves life, should do any and everything for you. But there there was a time where he was trying to control that to where you can't do this, you can't do that. I mean, they had an argument outside of my house one day when they were dating and I had to get in between the two. And I told him, I said, listen, first and foremost, if you two can't talk to each other like civilized individuals mm-hmm. and resolve your matters without blowing up in front of my home, in front of the neighborhood to where the people are looking at you like you're crazy. Right. You could have had this conversation behind closed doors, or you could even got somebody you consider to be a mediator that would listen to both sides to bring about a resolve from this conflict. But needless to say, he didn't care. And it's almost like she was going off on him. And so they turned around and they eloped because when she asked me, do you think I should marry him? I told him no. And he came to me and asked me, would you give me your daughter's hand in marriage? And I told him no. And I gave him the reason why. I told him because, first of all, to me, you didn't you didn't show no type of maturity. However, I can't control my daughter's decision. If she decides to marry you, then that's between you and her. But I can't give you my blessings if that's what you're asking me for. And they went in a loaf at the master's office here in uh, Charlotte. And I happened to find out by way of Facebook. I didn't even know my daughter got married. But needless to say, I didn't shun him or reject him. We would come to the house for some of the family functions. or even come to our church to worship with us. They were always late. They were never prompt. It's like, you know, well, my daughter is very prompt, but now she's being late. And I'm not blaming, shipping the blame only on her, on him. I'm just saying her behavior and her character began 
this change to where I noticed the change in her, but I didn't see what the change was going to bring about as a result of her being assaulted by him and almost killed by him. And so I, I didn't see that. Now, as a father, do you feel any regret as to, I should have been firmer and saying, I know we can't control our kids. Trust me. I got a 23 year old now and he just doesn't listen to anything I say. It's like, <laughs> I might as well not even exist. <laughs> right. You know, and he's in a bad relationship right now. And it's kind of the other way around. I suspect the girl is more violent than he is. She wants, because my son's on like zero kill pretty much all the time. He doesn't get excited. He doesn't get worked up. And she stays on about 20 half the time, <laughs> you know? Okay. And of course, when someone's on 20 and you're in the middle of an argument, the goal is to get the other person to get right on up there with you, right? And right. my son right. doesn't do that so readily. And so she has to come up with ways to get his attention. So she gets handsy and I've seen him with scratches and bruises. I think he's working off a black eye right now, believe it or not. And I'm trying to tell him this is not a really healthy relationship. And there's a kid involved. Just from my own personal experience, I know what I know and I see what I see. So having said that, do you feel like you could have done anything differently to have maybe stopped this union from happening? Well, first of all, I didn't want to come off where I wouldn't feel like I'm there and being forced or on picking and cherry picking who my daughter date or marry. You know, I explained to my daughter and even to my oldest son, who, who, who actually my son is actually married now. But my daughter, I was explaining to her on how she should approach a relationship. Don't just jump head over heels because this person is buying you any and everything. Begin to start doing some 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 research of your own. Listen to what his friends say. Ask him questions about, you know, what is your ambitions in life other than what, what am I bringing to the table as a relationship? I mean, ask him some serious questions. And I don't believe my daughter asked that. I believe she got caught up in the moment of the things that she was receiving from him. And also she didn't, I didn't want to feel like I was trying to control her life. Cause I mean, now she's 25 years old. And at the time she was 22 when she got married. And I did not want to make her think that dad is trying to control her life. Cause I've already told her and I told my oldest son and even my younger ones. I said, listen, I'm going to teach you the skill sets about life on how you should conduct yourself, whether it be a man or woman, soon to be husband or soon to be wife, and what you should look for in a mate. If this mate is not only he, is, is he attractive, this is what I told my daughter, he's attractive, yeah, he's good and hard, how did he, how did he carry himself around his mother and his father or his siblings or even his friends, I see you to watch that. But what happened was with this situation was he did not, to me, he didn't express any violent behavior that I seen while they were dating, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't show any of that. Mm -hmm. Only thing I know I saw was him being some form of control, where she can go, how late you been out. That's the things I saw as far as indicators. But I didn't see this rage that I saw on the night that he almost take, took her life. To where I mean, just to look at my daughter's face. I mean, it got to the place that was a boiling point, and that boiling point boiled over to where he was like, he told her this, if I can't have you, no one will. And needless to say, I won't live without you. So he was contemplating murder-suicide for these things. Wow. But she got free from out of the house that night. And when she got in the car, because she was bleeding profusely from her face, down in her eyes, she said, she said, I heard something say, lean over. And when she leaned over, the first gunshot came through the window and, and shattered the windshield. Neither put the car in drive and the second gunshot hit the side of the door panel where the door opens up to where the bullet, half of the bullet got lodged inside of the door where she was running away. Now, when she got probably about three miles down the road, she didn't realize that how bad, badly wounded she was until she ran into the store and she saw her face with glass and stuff from the glass shattering from the bullet. The first bullet hit the car. So I'm just telling you, uh, it, that night it was a very traumatic night. I was trying to make sure I 
console my daughter, uh, me and my wife, and, and, and also trying to keep myself calm because as a father, I did not want myself to be driven to rage to where I was seeking vengeance, you know, being a, a retired police officer. I wanted the authorities to get him. And I told the authorities that night, I said, uh, I hope you find him and, and find him quick. And they pretty much like, you know what, we understand your frustration and your anger, but we do know your background. And so don't you go out and do anything careless. I said, well, I never said I was going to do anything careless. I just said, I just hope you find him. Mm-hmm. That's all I said. But they made an arrest on him. He wrecked his car uh, not even two miles from my house because he was on his way to my house because he thought my daughter was at our house. But my daughter was in the emergency room because of, of the injuries she received as him, you know, pistol whipping her that night because she had told him she was leaving. She was moving out. And he didn't like that. He didn't want her to leave. I said this earlier in the intro. I called you because I knew you were of the cloth. And something interesting happened this week where a girlfriend called me. Her husband is a pastor. She says she went through some abuse and it got so bad where he beat her and she had to call the cops on him. She wanted to, she didn't know what to do. She felt beat down as in her character. She felt beat down emotionally. And it was very interesting because I met with her about maybe the beginning of this year and we haven't seen each other in like years. We, we see each other on Facebook or whatever. And I just always knew like she just looked so like she had regressed internally. Like she didn't look like she was happy. She didn't look like she had first lady vibes. She just didn't look like she was excited about life or this marriage of hers. But I'm not one to judge, you know what I'm saying? So I didn't say anything, even at this luncheon we had. So when she called me the other day, or actually I called her for whatever reason, and then she told me what was going on. And the first thing she said was, I don't want to make him mad. And I get that, because that's what we do as women. We don't, I don't want to make him mad. You know, he was controlling all the money. She's a doctor, for crying out loud. He controls the finances. He controls her business. She said he just made her feel like she was incapable of doing anything without him. And to the fact that she said she stopped even being around people because she felt like people would pick up on what was going on with her. It was like a little isolation happening there. So that's why I reached out to you initially because I was like, you know, sometimes in the church, we think people are so religious or so Christian that these things don't happen, but they do happen in all sectors. And I wanted to shed light on that because I think that's important to mention that, you know, there's mental abuse as well as emotional and physical. And sometimes yeah. one leads to the other leads to the other. In my marriage, it was like, you, you know how you, you share things with your spouse? Like, you know, I was adopted and I told him that. And I was like, oh, my mother died when I was eight. And, and some things that were really personal that I don't, uh, at the time I wasn't sharing with anybody. And so in the middle of an argument, he would throw that back up. That's why nobody wants you. Your mother died. Your daddy don't want you. This, 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 this. And it was like that below the belt stuff that started to play with you in your mind. You start thinking, I'm not worthy of anybody. I'm only worthy of maybe you. You're the only one who is interested in me, right? right. And then that led on to, you know, a choking incident, headbutting, grabbing incidents. You know, I'm very thankful that it never got to the point where I was in the emergency room or bludgeoned or beaten or things like that. But I was never a fighter anyway. I remember one incident where he was choking me. I was like, I'm just going to lean into it and close my eyes because I, I don't fight. And I felt like if I fought, that was going to make it worse. You know, now I'm giving you somebody to work with. I'm, I'm, we're boring and I didn't want to do that. And, and I, I just let it go. And I felt like in that moment, if I had a fault, I, I think he would have choked me to death because it's like he blacked out and I'm watching him like choke me. And I'm like, okay, just go with it. And that was a breaking point for me. So I said all that to say, how do you help someone who feels like they have to keep it to themselves? They are embarrassed or, or first lady in her case. How do you help them free themselves up? 
Well, first and foremost, the whole relationship, if the relationship is based upon manipulation, it's not based upon love. Because manipulation is witchcraft. The Bible talks about manipulation. It's one of the works of the flesh that it strips you of your identity, it strips you of your independency, causing you to take upon the nature of your the one who actually has a hold on you. You're the, the aggressive one. It, it, it makes you feel like there's no purpose without them, that you have to depend upon them. And if you bring about um, any information or shed any light on their behavior to people outside of your home, it, it, it puts you in a place to where it makes you feel like you're the betrayer for the one who's actually the, the aggressor in the relationship. And so to me, um, first and foremost, that's not of God. It's all a relationship without love. It's going to fail. It's going to get into a place to where now you have somebody who wants to control your every move and every fiber being of your life and didn't want anybody else to put any impulse, have any input in the relationship. And I'm not saying that people should not have any input in the relationship when it comes to marriage, but if it's something that's going to save you and preserve you and get you a, a peace of mind, I believe somebody needs to speak up. And uh, that's why you have to have real close friends, not friends who's trying to rule your marriage but friends who are close enough to you to say, listen, I'm the founding board if you just need to talk. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to become an aggressor towards your spouse. I'm just here to offer solutions to you so that you can make the decision. Because at the end of the day, one thing I've, I've seen is that you can go run to somebody's rescue. And then when you go to run to somebody's rescue, then the one you're coming to help, they reject your assistance. Now it makes you feel like the effect of the relationship, the negative effect relationship that they had is now starting to affect you. But here you are being a person trying to uh, render uh, assistance to help your friend or help your sister or help your brother, wherever the case may be. But I've seen it where it turned bad. I, I remember some years ago, I had to respond to a call of a domestic uh, violence uh, call through 911. And Howard Patrol, we normally don't do that, but the county I was in was a very rural county and took the sheriff's department at least 35 to 45 minutes to get there. But they were calling for a, a state patrol car in the area that could actually get on the scene, to secure the scene before the sheriff's office arrived. Well, when I got there, I remember pulling up in the driveway and I was on the phone with, with communication. I said, I see the cars. I said, well, who is the aggressor? They said, well, the husband is outside banging on the door with a butcher knife. And I remember getting out the car. I walked around the house, the back of the house. When I came to the side of the house, I could hear him banging on the door, but he didn't see me. He didn't see my car. And he had this huge, it was actually a cleaver, like a, a butcher cleaver in his hand. And he was banging on the door and banging on it. He said, let me in. I'm going to kill you. And then all of a sudden, I came from around the corner. My guns on. I said, drop the weapon. And he was like, he was shocked to see that I was there. And he needs to say he complied. And I hand, handcuffed him, arrested him until the sheriff's office got there. But I'll never forget the look of the wife when I finally got her to open the door. And the look how badly bruised her face looked. I mean, she looked like she'd been in a boxing match. Mm. And she had no more life left in her. I mean, she looked very distraught, worried, I mean, to the thousandth degree. And she looked at me and she said, are you here to help me? I said, yes, ma'am. I'm here to help you, but we're getting ready to take away your husband. I'm glad I was there to be able to stop that. So you said something key. The lady said, are you here to help me? And, you know, it's so interesting. I, I do this podcast. I'm doing the uh, How Do I Dot Facebook. It's a passion because I feel like 
today, people need help more so than ever before. And and I think that by sharing stories and keeping it real, I think I'm going to help somebody at the end of the day. I'm going to help them see, because, you know, we look, look at Tamar Braxton. She's in the hospital now. I don't know the backdrop story or what's going on, but I suspect there's some mental, emotional stuff happening. And, and we just never know from the outside sometimes, you know, people can look normal. They can look like they're going about their day-to-day jobs and behind the scenes, there's a lot happening. That part for me is even in my girlfriend's case, I'm to the point now where if you put your hands on me, it's a deal breaker. Like I'm out, no questions asked. I don't care if it was a smack. I don't care if it was a pinch. You're handsy. And one thing leads to another. And I know that for sure. And, but the hard part is trying to tell someone who's going through that, this is what you need to do. Because I'm like, you know, come to my house. I'll keep a safe haven for you. I just want you to be safe. I want your son to be safe. I talked to her yesterday and she says, oh, he's getting help. And I said, well, you know, you're not here to fix him. That's not your job. Because he's right. before. He's been married before and, and ex-girlfriends, he's done this. And she goes, no, but I just want to see him through it. And I'm like, that's not what you're supposed to do. She, and he mentioned to her, he says, well, I've done this before, but I thought this was normal. And usually the woman leaves me before I go get help. So I feel like it's a ploy to get her back in his good graces, right? Exactly. Because my ex-husband used to be like, okay, I'm not going to do that again. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do that. Wins me back over. And then, you know, it may take six months this time, but it happens all over again. And I fear that for her because she said throughout the whole of her relationship and her marriage, this has been going on. Yes. So I don't know if he can get better. And if he does, good on you, but I'm going to just look at you over here. <laughs> I'm going to say it like this. Don't let somebody get better at your expense. Mm, that's good. Because, I mean, they get better, but here you are broken and battered and beat down to where we don't have the, the true you anymore. But they're going to move on in their life and they go get with somebody else and, and look at you like you was the problem when you was there actually helping them assist them in their own problems. So. One thing I don't want your friend to do is to be deceived that by standing by his side in a time of this, if he does not go through the the process of seeking uh, psychological help, because that's what it is. It's a psychological issue of heart. You know, he picked that behavior up from maybe somebody in his family line that may thought that it was okay to beat on women and control women. You know, and I think some folks get the, the Bible wrong when it says, why submissive, be submissive to your husband. Let me tell you what that word submissive me. That word submissive means to honor. Honor is based in love. You don't take advantage of no woman. You don't take advantage of no man. If you really truly love them, you let them be who they are because that's who you marry. Not trying to make them out to become somebody who they are not, only for the family members and friends to say, you know what, this is not who I've grown up with. Uh, that, that's when you know that's, that, that you're in trouble waters. When you get somebody who gets together, they marry somebody that you don't know. And I'm not saying we got to know everybody that who marry who, but if you got somebody near and dear to your family, they get married to somebody. Out of care and love and concern, you're going to observe their partner to make sure their partner is doing right by them, not trying to control them. Because when you start seeing signs of behavior to where it begins to isolate them from the family, they don't want to do family functions. It's only because they got secrets that they're trying to hide. And, and we and listen to me, we, and as a pastor, we got to do more than pray. We got to put forth some action. You know, some folks, well, I'm just going to pray about it and let it be. No, no, no. You can pray about it, but you need to put forth some action to show the person they look. I love you enough to make sure that your life is not destroyed or or this man or this woman is trying to control you to a sense of where you're not living an enjoyable and peaceful and loving life. When people start trying to suck the, the life out of you, that's a leech. And that's somebody you shouldn't even be connected with in the first place. Because good looks wear off after a while. 
they it's sure really do. the heart. It's the heart of the person. Does this person have the heart to love me? And if they don't have the heart to love you, they're going to control you. They're going to make you begin to start second guess yourself. And they're going to stop you from really living what God intended for us to live in as an abundant life to be viable as far as successful is concerned and enjoy life. So I really pray that your friend uh, take heed to the counsel that you've given her because she really needs to separate herself. And I think this is where some of the challenges come at. Some people think that separation shows a sign of failure. Listen to me, I'm gonna tell you right now, all who's tuning in, you may have to separate for a season to get yourself and get your mind and your heart back into one place to where you could think straight versus as allowing the tentacles and the tools of manipulation to continue to keep controlling you like you're some type of puppet or something like that. You got to pull yourself out of that to get your thoughts and your bearing together so you can see the true picture of what everybody else who now say, look, this woman is trying to control you or this man is trying to control. They're trying to destroy you. And we don't want anybody to be destroyed by the hand of somebody that we truly don't know other than through the person that we're close and near and dear to our hearts. So I hope she take heed to what you're saying. Thank you. I also, I was talking to my husband last night and I said, you know, in, in her story, and I don't want to make it be about her per se, but I found that in society you hear people say, well, that's what I was used to. And I was like, I, I don't know. Is that a cop out? Because I think when you know better, you do better. So at some point in your life, even if that's what mom and dad did when you were young, now you're 20, 30, 40, whatever you are, you should have enough wherewithal to know something's not right. This isn't normal. You can change that picture. Do you, do you think that's true? I agree. You can. But I think sometimes some folks are so weak to where they allow and they accept it and they accept the compromise. And when you accept the compromise, you're going to ultimately lose. I, I had a, a person reach out to me on Facebook because I keep my Facebook stuff to try to encourage people. And this, this lady reached out to me on Facebook. She's in the same situation, abusive husband. I mean, he beats on her. And I mean, he does all kind of, does all kind of crazy things. And she's gotten to the point now to where she's as accepted. It. And I said, wait, I said, when you first started dating him, did he beat on you? She said, well, he was he smacked me a couple times. I said, those was the signs right there that you did not need to say I do to this person. Mm. But you're trying to hold up a reputation before your family that you have this thriving marriage and everything is hunky-dory and you got the perfect husband. You, you say it in your statuses that he's a great man when really he's a horrible man. He don't even know how to love himself because to me, if somebody put their hands on you, they don't love themselves. They, they're suffering some type of a rejection or abuse issues within their heart because of something they may have been exposed to and now they're trying to expose you to it. And I'll tell anybody, don't you sit up and tolerate no kind of foolishness like this. We got 7 billion people in this world and you messing around with one person who's trying to destroy your life. Find you somebody else to be with. And before you find somebody else to be with, make sure you get to a place to where your heart is healed because you don't want to take no wounds into a new relationship to where you end up messing up a good thing that could have been promising for you in your future. Absolutely. I, and I believe therapy is key. Somebody pinged me yesterday and was like, have you ever been to therapy? And I'm like, for sure. After my divorce, I got therapy for myself as an individual. And I also got therapy for me and my son so that they could be involved and can understand it wasn't about them. So with that, I yeah. also want to ask, moving forward with your daughter, since she's now out of that picture, what can you say to encourage people to for the life after violence? Is she getting help? Do you suggest that she get help? Is she looking at things differently from your parental eye? What's different? Well, I mean, the different thing is that I'm glad she's out of that abusive relationship. But one thing I want, I recommended highly to her was to seek the, the help, the counsel help. Because here in Charlotte, when the police respond to any domestic violence, whether it be any physical abuse to where they see it, 
or verbal abuse to where they got something recorded. They give you this pamphlet that because we got several domestic violent violent counselors here in the city that actually help you to get your identity back. Because most people that are involved in any type of domestic dispute, abuse or assault, they, they lose a sense of self. And so they function in life broken. And these counselors are there to help mend their heart, to help get their mind back on the right track after the relationship. Because one thing I've seen in my daughter is even though she's out of it, I'm still seeing effects of the aftermath of what took place. The aftermath of what took place that night when she was assaulted nearly lost her life. And I, and I keep suggesting to her, you need to get some type of mental help because as a father, I'm telling you things and I don't see you applying it. And because I'm concerned about your life, I want you to get that help. Let's contact the counselor. Pull out some some things you haven't even to- told me about because you are ashamed of or you know that you may cause me to get enraged to a place to where I feel like I got to seek vengeance on your behalf. And so my prayer is my daughter to get that type of help because I'm still seeing the aftermaths of it. That's interesting. And, you know, for me, the reason why I got out of the relationship and I waffled back and forth and we tried it again and tried it again, but I had sons. And I, even if I had daughters, I would still feel the same way. But it hit me one day. I said, I don't want my sons to think this is what normal looks like or healthy looks like. Yeah, you argue from time to time. And I made sure they never really saw the violent part of things even though my right. oldest one did see a couple episodes. And to this day, it kind of haunts him because he told me, he says, I, I couldn't help you. And and he feels forever bad about that. And I'm trying to help him say, that's not your burden to bear. It's right. it was. And because of that is why I left him so that we yeah. all could be better. Right. And so I think, and, and the other thing for me was he couldn't quite beat me down mentally as much as he did say his first wife, because she and I talk, because you can help me if I'm wrong. But I see a connection where, for example, if the man is the breadwinner and the woman is like the stay-at-home person or she makes less money, there's that that level of control. For me and my ex, we were on kind of the same level, same career, same money, same personalities to a certain degree. The things he did with the first ex-wife, he couldn't do with me because I was a little bit stronger or a lot stronger. So do you see a parallel between that dynamic where maybe someone's a little more authoritative and they use that against the person who's lesser? Oh yeah. So man, it's always, it's it's always trying to uh, level up on the competition. Like, you know, you cannot live life without me is the whole emotion. And if you listen to anything over and over and over again in repetition, after a while, you're going to believe it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's, that's the brainwashing that strips you of your identity to where you have to go along with this relationship because they done told you you can't live a better life without me. And and I know some of you on Uto names, well, I can live a better life without you. And you probably can because you have the courage to do that. But I want you to look at it from a spiritual side. When a person keeps speaking certain things and you don't bring no form of correction of the error that they're speaking, after a while, you're going to begin to believe it. And that's mind control. And once it begins to control your mind, it has the ultimate control of your heart. And before you know it, you're going to stay in this relationship longer than you should. You're going to take up for this person. I've seen people actually take up for the spouse that just knocked them across the head and they got a bruise the size of a golf ball. And it was like, well, he loves me. No, if you love me, he would never put his hands on you. He wouldn't try to beat you to the point where you're now unconscious. I've had a really, I had a situation, I had to respond to something like that too, to where the lady was laid out unconscious on the floor and the man is standing over her with a frying pan. I thought it would have been the other way around, her hitting him with a frying pan, but he done abused her so much to where when she got down to the intake, she begins to start vouching for him. He's a good man. He works hard. He takes care of the house. And I mean, you can't even see out of your right eye 
and your your your, your lip is bigger than your nose, and you're taking up for this guy who just tried to demolish your life to try to take your life. But that's what it does. Bruises you sometimes beyond repair to where you can start talking crazy things in agreement with your with your with your the, the aggressor. And so um I just really believe that. No one deserves that, neither male nor female. And, and, and in this city, since this COVID-19 has happened, domestic violent cases in this county and city has went through the roof. Exactly. We've lost some people this year. Within the last three months, people's lives have been taken, and it's mostly been the women who have been, been killed and destroyed, I mean, by the husband or by the boyfriend. Uh, one, one situation we had here, the way they had a manhunt where the guy killed the, the mother, left her in the house dead, took the child, ran off. Nobody could find him. They finally found the guy. They found the child first. She was unharmed. He dropped off at a store, and they was able to get the child back to the grandparents, and they found him in a in another state, in another city, because he was running. Because he, I mean, she had had a, a, a domestic violence order on him, but they had responded to the house several times. So all of these factors that was lining up, leading up to the murder, was evidential proof that this guy was going to kill her, and he did. And I mean, I'm telling you, it's sad, but now this this child is without her mother, and definitely going to be without the father because he can really go to prison for the rest of his life. Which is just crazy. And speaking of prison, your daughter's husband is or ex husband is now in jail, correct? Yeah, he's in prison. Yeah, he's got he got four years. He sure did. Now, do and I don't know how how many of the four years he's already served, but do you feel any fear of retaliation on him coming out? Like, what's the pulse on that? Well, you know what, you can never know the mind of a person, but you know, my 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 my, my mindset is: if you did it once and you did it twice and you was unsuccessful, then that means you're able to do it again. And so, I'm not going to be walking around him without my guard on. I even told my daughter, don't you walk around not being guarded because, like I said, we don't know if he's got connection with other people far as family members or friends. However, I'm going to remain vigilant. And that's what I've been trying to express to her. Remain vigilant because you don't know what he's going to do. You know, when he gets released in 2022, um, what then? I mean, what if he see you out in the city somewhere? Just protect yourself. Be ready at all times, is what I told him. Which you just brought up a good point. When, when violence happens, it affects the whole family. I remember my son, when we first moved to South Carolina, he got bullied and I'd never experienced that. It took me out probably more than it took him out. And I was like, it, it became a, a next level of real that when someone in your family close to you is going through something, it affects the entire family. If you're connected that way, like you feel that, right? And then yeah. it's the fact that this guy knows where you live. Like you said, you you now have a level of guardedness, if that's a word, <laughs> because yes. you never know if he can come back after you. So how does that feel that's as correct. a whole from a family perspective? Well, me, me being a military man, a Marine, retired state trooper, I'm always ready for anything. And he he's, he's aware of my background. He already knows that I wouldn't even waste a split second. If I saw him on my property, I'm not going to ask questions. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Because when I talked with the judge when he was going through his arraignment, I told the judge, I said, Your Honor, I don't want him near my house because he knows where I live. Number two, I don't want him nowhere near my uh, church. And I don't, number three, I don't want him nowhere near my business because, I mean, he knows our business, where our business location is at. He knows where the church is located. And he also knows where I live. And so I made that known to the judge and the district attorney that I don't want this man nowhere on the curtilage of what I own. If he comes, He's already been warned. I'm not going to sit there and have a conversation with him because I already know what he's capable of doing. He, at the time, owned two firearms. 
because um, he had a carry concealed license permit and he just lived that reckless life. And I'm not going to allow a reckless person, even though he didn't pay his debt to society, to make me say, well, you know what? I'm going to bring him closer to me again. No, 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 no. You got one time to come against me like that, and I don't trust you no more. Right. And just because I, I know I, I hear, I know some got some people on here that's going to listen and say, well, the pastor is talking like that. He's talking like he's not forgiven. No, I've forgiven him. However, I'm looking to see if he's changed. And even if he's changed, I'm still not going to embrace him because I don't trust him. It does not mean that because I've forgiven you that I got to trust you again. Mm-hmm. We got to be aware of that. Just because I've let, let, let bygones be bygones, it does not mean I'm going to embrace you and say, you know what, you come and sit down at my table and eat again. No, that ain't happening because you've already proved to me that you were willing to take my daughter's life. Somebody that you didn't create, somebody that you didn't raise, somebody that, that God blessed us with to have, and you was willing to take her life because you wanted to, her to stay with you. No, I have no more things to say to you at all. Now, has she forgiven him? You said you've forgiven him, and I want to know what that looks like, but has she forgiven him? I personally, in a sense, don't believe. Uh, well, I'm going to say it like this. I believe she's forgiven him in a sense, but I still believe that she's still wounded. There were some, some decisions, some things she was going to do recently about writing him. I said, what are you going to write a man for who almost taking your life? There's no need for you to try to express your your apologies on something that he did at, at his own hand. And so that's what I'm saying. I really believe my daughter needs to get help in that area to uh, start making sound decisions and not doing things in haste by being about while being wounded because she's still wounded uh, in her soul and in her heart because of this traumatic experience. Well, I wish her the best. And definitely, if she wants to talk about it, she can definitely reach out to me. I have no problems with that. I think this is an important conversation and you're right due to COVID and being quarantined and sequestered in with, with your, your, your spouse and your children. Like a lot of that just comes to a boiling point at times when you've already were feeling some kind of way. I'm looking at your spouse side eye. Now you're here with them 24 seven virtually everything becomes an issue and it just exponentially grows to where violence will happen. Not only with the, the adults, but it can also happen with the children. And they're the byproducts of all of that. So I hope that as we're giving this, we're, we're shooting this episode, that people will see a little bit of themselves and see that there's hope, there's life after, and and get some help. You know, yes. we we shun counseling and therapy as oh you you got problems, or that it's a bad thing. But a little therapy goes a long way. Trust me, I know. Yes. We all need somebody to talk to, to 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 unload the stuff that's been harboring in our heart and then causing our minds to be restless to where we receive wise counsel to give us the direction on there's life after this. Mm-hmm. You know, even the Bible talks about that. You know, when you confess your faults one to another, it says to pray, you know, to pray for that person. And then it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know, will be in James chapter five, verse 16. I really believe that we need uh, people who are going to encourage us and not view us as we failed or view us as uh, there's no point of return or change for us. We need somebody who's going to encourage us. There is life after this. Yes. You're still alive. You can. There's life after this. And you got to just have the right people in your corner in order for that to happen. You just can't have any and everybody giving you um, not so wise counsel to where it pushes you over the edge based upon their ungodly counsel that they was rendering to you. 
that eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, whatever you want to call it. But uh, but like I said, uh, we all need some a support group that's in our life that's going to help us to get beyond the the trauma that we've all experienced because we all have problems. There's no one in this earth that does not have a problem or problems. And I think sometimes we look at what I call a superficial life that's not real, that problems only exist to a, to certain individuals. No, everybody has problems, but there is solutions or counsel on how we can come out of the problematic, problematic situation to start living a viable life for ourselves and for our family. Now, have you gotten counsel as the family outside of her, like your, your other children? Because I'm sure they feel some kind of way about this too, and your wife. So have you guys jointly gotten therapy as well? Well, I mean, I'm pretty much a sound person when it comes to um, dealing with traumatic experiences, especially from the life in the Marine Corps and being a retired state patrol officer. I know how to really um, channel things to where I can resolve it based upon my training and my expertise. And now that I'm a pastor, I can resolve it based upon the word of God. And I've actually counseled my wife and counseled my, my her brothers or her siblings. And I've even tried to talk to her to get her in the direction of getting her counseling my daughter. But like I said, I can't force her hand to do it, but she knows she needs it. And there's times she would come to me and say, dad, I, I need your help. And I'll just be a sounding board to her and, uh, and, and listen to her, and then I would give her that advice, but I never coerced her to do anything. I said, listen, there's always help for you. You can go here. These these counselors here, they can help you to make things right, and I really believe in time. I hope and pray that she does go seek that because, like I said, I'm still seeing some effects of the aftermath of that night on December 3rd of 2018 still in her life today. Well, I want to say this to you too, and I'm no therapist, but I know you've got some extensive background and training, but it does hit a little differently when it's right in your camp, right? So I feel like it does. It you, does. You, you're a strong guy, but I don't know, maybe maybe a little counsel might help too. Just, just Yeah, well, you know what? I mean, just speaking of which, and I, I'm, I'm going to elaborate on that too. I got friends who are ministers who've got, who got counseling background. I've talked to them about it. Um, there's a certain group of, 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 of friends that I have that I know that's going to give me wise counsel because no one's exempt from having counsel. You know, even though I'm a pastor and I give counsel to uh, a people weekly or daily, rather, I still have a group of core friends that I bounce things off myself just to get them to reiterate some things that I know or even expounds on some things that I don't even know that is going to help me. So no, I'm not without counsel if, if that's what you want to know. I got I got I got four brothers that I depend on that are all are ministers of the gospel and they 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 pour into me on some of the troubles that I face even in my own house dealing with my daughter, especially my daughter's situation. Well that's good to know. That's good to know. I'm glad. Cause we all I tell you, I, the word therapy in my house, my my sons get all worked up. I don't want to go to therapy. <laughs> and yeah, I was thinking, I mean, they, they're probably looking at it like they view like there's something wrong with you when it's really it's. It, I think it's it's almost like what I would say a taboo word therapy. You know, no, no, we really need to know that therapy is there really to help us to make sure that we stay psychologically sound in our thought life and in our heart. So you know, there's life beyond the trouble. You just got to make sure you get the right insight to replace the trouble that's in your soul and get that out of you and get the right insight that is say, okay, now I can heal 
because there's a lot of folks that are living right now today that are still broken from past marriages, past bad relationships, and they're involved in a new relationship, and they wonder why there's so much dysfunction going on to where they're now tolerating. Mm-hmm. So I really believe we all need help. There's definitely life after. You can come out of this thing a better version of you and, and be stronger for it. So, Sam, I thank you so much for sharing your story with us, and hopefully it inspires and, and gives someone hope as a father who might have a daughter who's going through it, as a parent who has a child going through it, and as that person who is going through it. I hope that you've shed some light and, and, and gave a, a little glimmer of hope at the end of the day that this too shall pass. And I thank you for your time, and I appreciate you. Uh, thank you for the invitation on here, Rashid. I appreciate it. Absolutely, and we'll definitely meet and talk again. <laughs> All right. All right, day. Sam. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.